that said, it's time to, to look at God's holy word today. We're going to be in the same passage as we were last week, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Uh, last week we became reacquainted with our current sermon series, Living in the Last Days. We remember that Jesus said in Holy Scripture, no one knows the day or the hour of his return. And we, so we're not trying to figure out the timing of when Jesus is coming back. Jesus said nobody knows, not even the Son referring to himself, but only the Father in heaven. So that's obviously not what we should focus on and, and try to figure out the answer to. Uh, there are people that do, and I think that that's a, a waste of time because Jesus said nobody knows. And so we choose to honor God's word and not try to figure something out that Jesus said nobody knows. Uh, we are choosing to live by faith in Jesus Christ. We choose to live in obedience to him. We choose to base our values and our worldview on God's holy word, the Bible. So the sermon series title, Living in the Last Days, reminds us that with whatever time each one of us have on earth, we will worship Jesus Christ. With whatever time each of us has on earth, we will serve Jesus Christ. With whatever time each one of us has on earth, we will obey Jesus Christ. Today's sermon is entitled Great Encouragement 2.0. We're going back to the same passage, same overall topic, great encouragement. There is such encouragement in this passage for us. God loves us. He's for us. And it's evident. And he calls us to do great things in his name and in his power. Um, we're going to return to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, to finish looking at the Apostle Paul's words of encouragement as he prepares the pastor of the church in Ephesus, Timothy, for growing leadership in ministry going forward. You and I are the one connection, in some cases, the only connection for those, for others, to have to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be the only connection that somebody has to the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith um, given to them, displayed to them, lived out before them may be the only occurrence of that in someone's life. So just like Timothy needed to perk up and pay attention on what Paul was telling in this letter, you know what? So do you and so do I because we are God's witnesses. and We for somebody, maybe the only connection they have to Jesus Christ. So, the passage that we're going to look at today of God's Word is a great encouragement. Today's passage begins with these words in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14. Keep reminding God's people of these things. So keep at it. Persevere. Keep reminding God's people of these things. And the core of what these things are that Paul's referring to is found earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, where Timothy tells, where Paul tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. 
Listen to that again. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. So the gospel, the good news, is embodied in Jesus Christ. Jesus the man, Jesus the son of God, who lived and breathed and walked among us. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. Jesus Christ, God himself. Jesus Christ descended from David, the incarnation, God in human flesh, Son of God, Son of Man, Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, the good news that Paul shared, that Timothy went on to share, that you and I can share today. So I want to ask you a question. What do you think God thinks when he thinks of you? What do you think God thinks when he thinks of you? You know what? He loves you. Hear me? He loves you. He is for you. In Jesus Christ, you have a Savior. So, what is your response? I want you to think about that seriously. What do you think God thinks when he thinks of you? He loves you. He is for you. He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, God the Son, to also be the Son of Man, to live among humankind for us, to be with us and to be for us. He was sinless. He was able to go to the cross and be the sacrifice that takes away our sin. So what is your response? There's a lot of things offered to us in life. Be careful about what you accept. Whatever is offered to you, to actually have it, you have to accept it. So there's a relationship there. There's an offer, there's an acceptance, and then you have it. So what's your response to the offer of Jesus Christ, the one who is for you, the one who is fully God and fully man, the one who is a sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world, that takes away my sin, takes away your sin? What's your response? I want you to think about that today. We're going to come back to that at the end of the sermon and process that a little more fully. But I want you to have a response. What is your response? So let's read today's passage, and then we'll focus on the second half of that passage. We're going to read today 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Now, this is the passage we're going to focus on today, beginning of verse 20. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. 
Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. The Holy Word of the Lord our God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. So, there in the church in Ephesus that Paul is writing to Timothy about, there is an unholy opposition. We're focusing on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26 this morning. Paul has been using the word picture of the followers of Jesus Christ who make up the church as an unassailable building created by God, established on a firm foundation and adorned with his inscriptions, with his holy word to us. To provide the setting for yet another comparison, Paul takes the solid foundation image a step further in, in what we're looking at today. Now, using words that Paul shared with Timothy and scripture shares with us, imagine that God's magnificent building is a large house. Naturally, that house would include, as the scripture says, articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble or common use. In these household articles, Paul sees another metaphor for Christian leadership. Remember, you may not think you're a leader, but you may be the only connection somebody in your life has to Jesus Christ. So you have the awesome privilege and opportunity, the great expectation that should just well up in you that you could lead them to Christ. Not because of your power, but because of God's power in you. Okay? Uh, modern interpreters don't agree on exactly what Paul meant with this word picture. So there's a couple options that I want to look at today. Um, like a noble vessel. One possibility is, does Paul mean that fine vessels, as in an exquisite vase or an extraordinary expensive candlestick, um, and then common ones like pots and pans, for instance, that both have their place in this large house that is God's people, the church on earth. Both have their place as long as they honorably fulfill their function as God has given to them. If so, the lesson would be that God's true people are vessels of all kinds, but each one is honorable. In God's house, each vessel whether, whether they believe themselves to be noble or common, whether they're well-known or unknown. 
Each vessel is honorable. In contrast to that, the false teachers that are mentioned and those like them are dishonorable. Now, Desert Hills Community Church is a congregation within the denomination called the Church of Nazareth. We are known theologically as Wesleyan Holiness people, a Wesleyan Holiness Church. We find our theological roots in the ministry and teaching of John Wesley. John Wesley lived from June 1703 to March 1791. Okay, and that's where we find the theological roots for our denomination. Here's an excerpt from an annual covenant service that John Wesley would lead. Every year towards the beginning of the year, he would have a covenant service so that the people would confess their faith in Christ and confess their covenant relationship with God and with each other. And so here are some excerpts from that covenant service. Lord Jesus, it's, it's old English, 1700 English, okay? Lord Jesus, if thou wilt receive me into thy house, if thou wilt but own me as thy servant, I will not stand upon terms. Make me what thou wilt, Lord, and set me where thou wilt. Let me be a vessel of silver or gold, or a vessel of wood or stone. So I be a vessel of honor. I am content, Lord. Lord, put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee or trodden underfoot for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily resign all to thy pleasure and disposal. Wow. Um, that's, that's a great statement of covenant with the Lord, of submission to being wholly, entirely obedient to him, whatever he has for me. What a beautiful um, words those are from that covenant service of John Wesley. So that's one possibility. That, that the noble vessels, the common vessels, that they all belong and are useful in the house of God as long as they choose to be pure and holy. The other possibility is that Paul identifies grand vessels as ones for noble purposes and the common vessels as ones for innoble purposes. If that's his point, then the difference between true and false leaders in Ephesus is the difference between a silver goblet and a garbage pail. Some go even further and say that Paul associates the heretics with a chamber pot or a bedpan, as in a first century toilet. Uh, Paul has just recognized the influence of these men as gangrenous, as causing gangrene. Um, so he's not afraid Paul is not afraid to be plain spoken. Paul doesn't mince words. Paul doesn't mince word pictures here. Was there spiritual corruption in the Ephesian church back then? Yes. 
For even a great house produces its share of garbage. Now, there's another one of those plain spoken words, huh? But to focus on the waste is to miss the splendor and the grandeur of the mansion of God. In addition, there's something unusual about this house. The owner only wants noble vessels, clean and beautiful. The good news for ordinary people is that even vessels that don't meet this standard can be cleansed. Hear that. Uh, take that in personally. The, the analogy here is not perfect. Uh, for even the lowest furnishings in a house are necessary for the functioning of a real household, right? So they don't need to, we don't need to change into something that they are not or that we are not. We don't need to change into something that we are not. And how could they if they wanted to? How could we if we wanted to? We are what God created us to be. But Paul is not talking about everyday life here. In God's great house, in God's great house, to be spiritually clean and noble is the norm. Talk about a great expectation. God's house, the people that make up God's house are expected and have available to them to be spiritually clean and noble. That's the norm. The phrase for this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, is made holy. Not make yourself holy, not become holy by your own efforts. Made holy. It's something that happens to us. Okay? It's something that God does in us and for us. Now, this idea of holiness, made holy. The Westland theological tradition asserts that Christian holiness embraces power for effective service, but also purity of heart and life. Power is a spirit at work through us. Purity is a power of the spirit in us, the work of the spirit in us. Um, Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. To be sanctified means to be set apart. Set apart from sin and evil. Set apart to God's purposes and his holiness. Okay? You should be, again, it's something that happens to you. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Great expectation. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Great expectation. God's calling us to depart from impurity, to live a holy life. And he doesn't just say, well, figure it out. You should be sanctified by him, by the Holy Spirit. You should be set apart from sin to salvation, from sin to holiness, from self-will to God's will. Great expectations for sure. Holiness and purity are interrelated. And when the Holy Spirit purifies our heart by faith, as it says in Acts chapter 15, verse 8 and 9, His holiness is imparted to us. What's that mean? Sin-bent lives aren't simply counted pure because Jesus died for the sins of the world. Sin-bent lives aren't simply counted pure and then left in their pollution. They 
are made pure and cleansed. There's that transaction. There's that relationship. There's you choosing to enter into the offer of God's salvation and to be cleansed and made pure. This is important. So let me say it again. Sin-bent lives aren't simply counted pure and then left in their pollution. They are made by God pure and they're cleansed. Please pursue that and understand that and embrace that and receive it personally. Charles Wesley, brother of John Wesley, captures that concept in his magnificent hymn, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. You should look that up. Look it up online and read the lyrics. Love divine, all loves excelling. I mean, it reads like a poem. It's beautiful. Or you can go, you know, to a site that plays music and and listen to a version of that. Love divine, all loves excelling by Charles Wesley. And here is a phrase that I want to share with you from that hymn. Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. What a great expectation. That's God's expectation for us. That can be your expectation in your daily living, in serving, in worshiping, and obeying. Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. So, live your last days purified by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, able to know and do His good and pleasing and perfect will, grounded on a firm foundation. Chrysostom, known today as the Prince of Preachers in the early church, used Paul as Paul's as it used Paul as an illustration of Paul's point here, and he says. Paul was an earthen vessel and became a golden one. Paul wasn't originally a believer. He wasn't originally an apostle. In fact, he persecuted them and attacked them and and went and led them being captured and taken before authorities to be punished and even killed. So, and then he had an experience that we know from Scripture as the Damascus Road experience. He was on the way to Damascus to go find and, and capture and turn in for punishment. Christians there, when when uh, Jesus put his face in the dirt, talked to him for a while, and, and he got up and was a changed man and became a follower of Jesus Christ and lived the rest of his life as an amazing pastor, an amazing evangelist and church planner. And uh, God used in great ways that endure to this day. Eventually, the Apostle Paul wrote more of the New Testament than any other single person inspired by the Holy Spirit. So, Chrysostom says, Paul was an earthen vessel and became a golden one. And he goes on to say, Judas was a golden vessel and became an earthen one. Judas Iscariot was one of the apostles. He was one of the inner circle disciples that traveled with Jesus during his earthly ministry, and he chose to sell Jesus out for a bag of silver. Um, and he eventually ended up committing suicide uh, over the trying to, to struggle with what he had just done. Okay? So, 
Paul was an earthen vessel, became a golden one. Judas was a golden vessel and became an earthen one. So our response is hugely important. It's the most important decision and choice and action of your life. Nothing would have pleased Paul more than to hear that the false teachers that he refers to had followed his example and had become golden vessels too. Um, Paul was a sinner saved by grace, and he knew that. Um, so he had every confidence that somebody else could too because he'd experienced it personally. That's my own story. I have every confidence that you can be saved, that you can be purified, that you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit because I guarantee you, some of you know my story. I was an earthen vessel. I was outside the kingdom of God doing everything contrary to his will. And God saved me. He got my attention. He invited me into his kingdom. And when I received it, when I accepted his offer, it's never been the same. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I've been able to, to serve God ever since. What an amazing transformation. So Paul had that kind of um, optimism as well. And, um, you know, his great desire, I'm sure, would be that, that those false teachers would humble themselves and repent and be forgiven and saved and sanctified and become golden vessels too. If Timothy were to remain the right kind of vessel in God's great house, he would have to, as it says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. By running away from some things, and there's some things you've got to run away from, and then running toward other things, he, Timothy, could be among those, Paul says, with a pure heart. Purity is everything the vessels that are mentioned in verses 20 and 21 should be. Cleansed, holy, and noble, living for the king, serving in his kingdom. And then it mentions the evil desires of youth. Those are sensual sins. Uh, we can think back to the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 39 to Joseph. Joseph had been sold off into slavery by his own brothers. And, and he had, as a slave, worked as a servant in a powerful person's household in Egypt and had worked up to be the chief servant. He ran everything in the house so that his master could be focused on the things that he did outside of the house. And he ran everything. And one day when just Joseph and um, and the master's wife, after having been sold into slavery, now chief servant Potiphar's house, just the two of them are in the house, and he's approached by his master's wife, and she invites him into her bedroom. The best, and what does he do? Well, the best recourse for facing those kind of temptations is to flee. He literally ran out of the room and out of the house to flee from the temptation. Um, we flee from that temptation to receive the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live well for Jesus Christ. Each of us must submit and allow the cleansing presence of the Holy Spirit to abide within us. Every one of us has to make that choice. 
and follow that course in life. Perfect love. When we think biblically about the word perfect, we should not think in terms of faultless in execution, but in terms of fulfilling God's intended purpose. A, a vessel is perfect when it fulfills the purpose for which it was created. There was a man named John Fletcher um, back during uh, the 1700s in England. He was also an acclaimed theologian, and he chose to publicly defend John Wesley's doctrine of free will from its critics within Christianity. There, were, there are Christians then and now who say that God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he determines how everything's going to go down. Um, there are some he determines are going to be saved. There are some he determines are not going to be saved. Um, as Wesleyan holiness people, we don't believe that. We believe that God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he has chosen to allow us to have true, unhindered free will. We truly can choose. And so we truly must choose faith in Jesus Christ and faithfulness to Jesus Christ to be saved. Okay? So this was a big deal when, when John Wesley was talking about this stuff. And John Fletcher was one of those who defended him. In the process, John Fletcher became the target of attacks that were sometimes bitter and angry. On one occasion, a clergyman who opposed John Fletcher traveled to his home at Madeley in England determined to do theological battle. But that opponent was totally disarmed by the warmth of Fletcher's greeting. And the two men spent the afternoon worshiping God rather than warring against each other. Fletcher's new friend compared the visit later to heaven. Uh, the theological disagreement was real, and it remained when that afternoon was over. But greater than the controversy was the spirit of Christ in the life of John Fletcher. Paul's other warnings concerned temptations to sins of the spirit. The pure heart is non-argumentative because, as Paul said, foolish and stupid arguments produce quarrels. It means, it follows then, that Timothy must not quarrel, nor should he be resentful. Instead, Paul tells him he must be kind to everyone. To say that Timothy must be able to teach, as Paul tells him, does not impose a proficiency requirement. In the context of this passage, what it's telling Timothy is there's a purity test. The statement doesn't appear here in a list of gifts that people who can teach have. It's in a list of graces. I want you to Notice the context. Paul's call to Timothy to be able to teach his position between being kind and not being resentful. And the next sentence shows Paul's meaning clearly. He tells, he says that Timothy must gently instruct even those who oppose him. And that will take grace. A person with that kind of character can be used by God to bring sinners to their senses. After all, Satan, not sinners, is the enemy. 
And Satan has taken them captive to do his will, Paul says. So, in this spiritual warfare, sinful people may act like enemy combatants, but they're actually prisoners of war, having been taken captive by the evil one who works in them and through them. And in most cases, they don't even know or recognize it. So, like a servant, like a servant. Hidden within this description of Christian holiness is Paul's final illustration. The Christian leader is to be the Lord's servant. All six metaphors for leadership that are given in this letter are taken, take on a richer texture when they are seen as descriptions of servanthood. Doesn't the soldier have a commander? Chapter 2, verse 4. Doesn't the farmer get only a share of the crops? Chapter 2, verse 6. Because the field belongs to the Lord of the harvest. Doesn't the mansion filled with noble vessels have a master? Chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. It's certainly not for himself that the workman cuts a straight road. He seeks the approval of another in chapter 2, verse 15. Even the athlete is not his own master, free to make his own rules. He competes in a contest whose rules were established by the governor of the game. Verse, chapter 2, verse 5. The Christian leader is the servant of the Lord. And the Christian leader is the servant of the Lord's people. Within the church and to the world, we are called to love like Jesus loves, to live like Jesus lived. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, hear these verses that I'm about to give you. If you are a born-again believer, and follower of Jesus Christ, hear these verses, embrace them, live them out, and share them with those around you. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So, great expectations. Jesus is for you. Jesus came to be with you. Jesus offers to give you his spirit that will live in you. Jesus offers to save you from your sin, to take you from being separated from the Father in heaven, to restore the right relationship with him, to live your last days on earth and then live with him in heaven forever. That's what Jesus offers. Dear follower of Jesus, Jesus came to save. When we follow him, we come to see others saved in his name. That's the goal. That's the value that informs our attitudes and our words, and our choices, and our actions. That's the goal. Remember that. Great expectations.
God has given you everything that you'll ever need to live your life in that manner. You see others come to faith in Jesus Christ because you're with him. If you have never had a life-changing experience that began with you confessing your need for a Savior and receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do that now. So wherever you are, however you're watching or listening to this sermon, you can be forgiven. You have to, to confess, which means to speak in agreement with. You have to say, Jesus, I've sinned. And you know what? Jesus, I'm sorry. And I believe that you can save me. I believe that you went to the cross and shed your blood and died there to be the sacrifice that can take away my sins. And I choose to receive that now in Jesus' name. You can do that today. This can be the day of your salvation. You can pass from death to life for eternity today. And so um, if you would like me to share in that moment with you, please email me at step1.gmail.com if you have a phone number, call me. And I would love to share that with you. You can email me, give me your phone number, and I'll give you a call. But today can be the day of your salvation. So we are forgiven and free. We can be cleansed of our sin and filled with God's Holy Spirit. And so great expectations. What a beautiful word picture has been given us of how much God has for us and how powerful he is within us every time we allow him to be so. God bless you and have a wonderful day, a wonderful week, enter into every opportunity to be the love and presence of Christ in the life of somebody today. And um, that concludes uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, so uh, spend the next week reading 2 Timothy chapter 3 through the end of the letter. And um, We'll see you next week. And we're gonna next week we're gonna worship together. We're gonna praise his holy name. We're gonna pray. We're gonna give. We're gonna live and obey and declare the name of Jesus Christ today and every day. God bless you.